newspaper ad or perhaps some spots on the radio or television, there's, there's an offer being made where they're going to give away something. Now, we're not talking about just some small kind of a trinket or some advertising, you know, ballpoint pens or uh, little notepads and stuff like that. They give those kind of things away all the time. But let's say that you heard that they are making an offer of something very significant that they're going to give away. Let's say it's a new car. They're giving away new cars. Just come and get one. You can have one. Just come and you can receive it if you'll come and accept that offer. Then you find out that people are not coming. The offer has been made, but really only a handful of people have Most people have ignored the offer, have not accepted the possibility of receiving a free new car. What would you think about that? Don't you think that your reaction would be, wonder why? Wonder why nobody came. Wonder why nobody took them up on that offer for a free car. What's going on? Why wouldn't people want to have that? And why wouldn't they do the very simple thing of going to accept it? That'd be, that'd be mind-boggling, wouldn't it, if a scenario like that developed? It'd be hard to imagine. But, religiously, we have a very similar thing going on. Salvation has been offered to everyone. Uh, you can have your past sins forgiven. You can be in a relationship with the Almighty God of Heaven, wherein you can even approach His throne and speak to Him through prayer, and He will hear and answer. But way more than all this, you have the hope of eternity in heaven forever and ever, to be blessed there. And yet, most people are ignoring the offer. Most people don't accept that offer. Really, only a relative handful of people are reacting to receive that gift. Isn't that amazing when you stop to think about it? This is the greatest offer of all time. And yet, most people are turning it down, just not even paying attention to it, ignoring it. That leads to the statement that was read for us by Junior just a few minutes ago from John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. The situation as it exists today is not new. It has always been that way, that most people refuse the offer being made by God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 5, 39 and 40, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. And so it is not a new situation that people in our day and time are refusing to come to Jesus. That's been true for a long, long time. We want to investigate why, though. What's the reason for that? Just like we'd want to know why are people turning down the offer of a new car, it's also very interesting to try and understand why are people turning down the offer of salvation made available through Jesus Christ. Well, why won't people come to Jesus in order to be saved? That's what we want to talk about in our lesson this morning. Before we get into that, stop just for a minute to thank you all for your presence, especially those who are visiting with us today. We're glad that you've come. We want you to feel welcome here at College View, and we want you to come back every time you have a chance to be here. Thanks for being here. Thanks to everybody for being present. We have a great privilege to join together in worship. And uh, I hope you appreciate it and thankful for it. Um, if we're truly thankful for it, that means that we'll also take advantage of it every time it rolls around. So when we meet again, if this is a blessing this morning, you're going to have an, another opportunity for a blessing this evening at 6 o'clock. Uh, and we hope you all take advantage of that too. That, that only makes sense, right? If you really appreciate this opportunity. Thanks for being here today. Before we get into 
actually dealing with the question, why do some people refuse to come to Jesus? Before we do that, I want to make a couple of observations just from the statement that Jesus made here. The first statement, the first observation from his statement is this. You can be knowledgeable about the Scriptures and still not really know Jesus. Do you see it in the text there? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, and he said, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. In other words, Jesus was acknowledging these people, they do spend time in the Scriptures. They spent time reading their Bibles. They know what has been revealed up to that point in time. Obviously, the New Testament had not been revealed at this point. But they, they searched the Scriptures. They knew what they said, uh, and yet they had not been obedient to the things that were expected of them. Now, that's something that we need to point out. Perhaps you have known, I have known in times past, of people who are very knowledgeable in the Scriptures. In fact, they were pretty skilled at quoting Scriptures. They might know a number of verses by memory, and yet they had never really obeyed what the Bible teaches. They knew the Bible, but they didn't know Jesus in the sense of obeying Him. The Scriptures say to really know Jesus, we have to be obedient to the things the Scripture says. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, Hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. And so really knowing Jesus is not just being able to recite some Scriptures. We've got to know the Scriptures. But to really know Jesus, we have to be obedient. These people were searching the Scriptures, but they weren't coming to Jesus. Another thing that we could point out just from the simple statement of Jesus here is that salvation is only available through Jesus. No, no, the whole point of this discussion was eternal life. And Jesus says, you refuse to come to me that you can have life. Jesus is pointing out that he is the way to eternal life. And the fact of the matter is that he is the only way to eternal life. There are a lot of people these days, and even some who would identify themselves as Christians. They wear that name at least. And yet they're implying that really all religions are worthy. And that you might be able to come to God by being a Muslim or being a, a, a practicing Jew or being a Buddhist or a Hindu. I mean, there are these people who have this very liberal mindset that says Christianity is a good religion, but it's just one religion among many, and you can choose any of those that you like. Well, that, of course, is absolutely not true because the Scriptures tell us that life comes through Jesus. And if you want to have eternal life, you're only going to get it by coming to God through Jesus. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I don't know about you, but I, I have no problem understanding that statement to you. No one comes to the Father but by me. The apostles taught that Jesus was the only way for salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so salvation is only available through Jesus. And one more quick thing before we deal with the actual question we want to investigate this morning is notice that salvation is a choice that we must make. He says, you, these scriptures bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me. You refuse to come to me that you may be saved. Notice it was them that was refusing the call. It wasn't that God hadn't called them. It wasn't that they were exempted from the offer. 
they were refusing to respond. That's the reason why they weren't being saved, because they were making a choice to refuse to submit to God, to, to obey what was being commanded of them. Again, we know that in the religious world of our day, there are people who say, not everybody can have salvation. Salvation is available to some people, but not to everybody. It is this idea of predestination that we've often talked about, wherein they say that certain people have been chosen for salvation, but if you're not among the number that was chosen for salvation, then you can't be saved. And it really doesn't matter what you do, if you're not in the chosen number, you can't be saved. Their idea is that it's God's choosing as to who will be saved, and you don't have anything to do with it. Well, that is so not true to Scriptures. Even in the statement of Jesus here, notice that he said, the problem is that you refuse to come. It's not the problem that God hasn't called you. The problem is you refuse to come. Of course, there are so many verses of Scripture that emphasize that very truth. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says, The spirit and bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And notice, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You have to make the decision, though. It's available to you. And we can multiply the verses that say God wants everyone to be saved. But the reason uh, why these people weren't making or weren't getting there was because they were making a decision to refuse to come. All right. Now, that ultimately brings up the question we ask. Why is it that some refuse to come to Jesus? These points are worth noting. Uh, that is, you can know the Scripture not know Jesus. Salvation is available only through Jesus. Salvation is a choice that we have to make personally. Well, why aren't some people making that decision then? Why is it that some people refuse to come to Jesus? I think that we can maybe offer some answers to that question. Now, I want you to tie that back to what we said in the introduction. They're offering free new cars to anybody who comes and get ones, and people won't come? Well, why is that? That doesn't even make sense. Well, this doesn't make sense either. Salvation, eternal salvation in heaven is being offered through the Lord Jesus Christ, and people not coming. Why is it that there are so many who refuse to come to Jesus? The first answer I would give to that is because I think clearly some people are unaware that they're lost. This is a very obvious thing, but you never seek to be saved or found if you never realize that you are lost. A number of years ago, we had a family relative who, this was long before the days of uh, GPS and so forth in your car. And uh, he was on a, a long trip across country and he made a wrong turn on one of the complicated interse interstate intersections in a major city. What was amazing was he went for over three hours the wrong direction before it finally dawned on me, on him, hey, I'm lost. And he had to retrack all of that. Well, why did he go on that way for so long? Because he didn't know he was lost. He just kept on going because he thought he was on the right road. You, d you don't seek to be found or saved until you realize that you are lost. And spiritually, that is so true. We have to see our lost condition. Now, the people that Jesus was talking to here, these Pharisees, the ruling class of the Jews, they didn't acknowledge their lost condition. They were characterized by this story that we've studied before, from Luke chapter 18 about the Pharisee and the publican who went up to pray. You remember that story? We'll go into great detail here, but you remember uh, he spoke a certain parable 
to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing far off, would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Notice this Pharisee. Do you see the big problem with him? He didn't realize his lost condition, did he? He didn't ask for anything. He didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't ask to be made right with God. He didn't ask for anything because he didn't think he needed anything. He was actually bragging upon himself and cataloging all his good deeds. And so he didn't see his lost condition. Therefore, the result of it was that he did not stand justified before God. The humble uh, humble publican did, but the Pharisee did not because he didn't see that he had any need for salvation. And so I think that that is a big part of the answer to the question, why are people, even in our day, refusing to come to Jesus? Because lots of them don't realize that they are lost. They need to see themselves as lost sinners in need of salvation. I would also add that I think some people do not see Jesus as the unique person with the unique ability to save us that he really is. There are people, there always have been people, there have historically been people all the way back to the time of Christ who would say that Jesus was a good man, a really good man, and a fantastic teacher. Uh, In fact, that Jesus taught a moral code that was excellent. Uh, He was just a good man and a great moral teacher, but really not anything more than that. He's just a good man who taught a good morality. And if that's true about Jesus then, and if you, if you believe that about Jesus, you would not be strongly motivated to join yourself to a group of people who are devoted to following him. In other words, you could say about Jesus, he's a good man. There are plenty of good men. And I'm not, I, and, and just because I say he's a great man doesn't mean that I necessarily want to commit myself to doing everything he said. There have been a lot of great men. Jesus is just a great man. Well, that doesn't get the job done, does it? Uh, And therefore, those who are not convinced of his unique status as the only begotten Son of God are not motivated to obey. Notice what's said here in Matthew 16. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, the question was raised about who is this Jesus? Anyway, Jesus asked the question. Jesus asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus asked his disciples, who are people saying that I am? What, did, what was the answer? If you were to summarize their answer, the answer was, people are saying you're a good man. You're, really, you're a really good man on the level of Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the great prophets. Of the old, you're a really good, people are saying you're a really good man and a great teacher. But Jesus went on to say, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Everybody was saying, Jesus is a really good man. But Jesus said, Who do you really think I am? He asked his apostles. And Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is unique in that matter, 
And we need to accept that and come to God through Jesus. The fact of the matter is, if Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God and the only way to approach the Father in heaven, if he is not that, then he is a liar and a deceiver and should be rejected out of hand. In other words, you can't have well, you can't say he's a good man, but then say he's not the unique character he claimed to be. Because if he's not the unique character he claimed to be, then he's a liar, and thus he's not a good man, right? So you can't have it both ways. We have to accept Jesus as the unique, only begotten Son of God and the only means to obtain salvation. And I think some people are not coming to him because they haven't come to that agreement. They haven't accepted him at that level. Clearly, some people have been deceived by false teachers and believe that they are already saved. Satan has a lot of different tools that he uses. You might imagine Satan with a, with a toolbox, and, and he, and he kind of looks at you, and he opens his toolbox, and he says, which one of these tools can I use to cause that person to be lost? And, and, and we're not just talking in general. He, he's doing that with every one of us. He's got every one of us in his sights, and he's just sort of looking at his available tools and looking, let's see, i got this. I'll use this tool, you know, and I, that may be an oversimplified uh, description of Satan, but, but I believe it is the way he approaches it. In other words, he's going to use his most effective tool to keep each and every one of us lost. One of his most effective tools is to deceive people into believing that they're already saved when they're not. And therefore, as long as they think that they're saved, in fact, they can even be religious. He doesn't care if you're religious. Just so long as you're religiously wrong and lost, Satan will be pleased. In fact, that's a really good tool that he can use. Let you be deceived into thinking everything's okay because you engage in one form of religion or another. And as long as you think it's okay and don't seek to really, truly follow the will of God, Satan will be pleased for you to stay in that situation. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Peter said there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Notice he says, and many shall follow their pernicious way. Peter predicted there are going to be a lot of false teachers, and they're going to be successful. They're going to get people to follow them. So Satan uses this tool of false teachers to deceive people, and therefore they do not come to Jesus truly, faithfully, because they've been deceived into thinking everything is all right. The problem is that one that Paul described in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, when he says they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In order to be saved, you've got to love the truth. In fact, Jesus said this is so important, John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You can't just believe anything you want. You can't just believe anything some false teacher comes along and proclaims, you've got to find out, is this true or not? You've got to be committed to finding the truth and being obedient to it. That's the reason why we spend so much time teaching from the Word of God and also spend a good bit of time trying to expose the false teaching that goes on in the religious world. You know, often in our sermons, in our Bible classes and so forth, we spend time specifically saying, this is wrong. People are teaching this, but it's not true. Why do we do that? Well, because if you don't love the truth, you can't be saved. The truth will make you free, and only the truth. But Satan effectively uses this ploy 
get people to be deceived by false teaching into thinking that they're all they're okay when they're really not. Therefore, they won't seek to do anything different and they won't really come to Jesus. Additionally, I think there are some people who are unwilling to pay the price that Jesus requires. You want to come to Him? You want to be saved? Well, it's a great offer, for sure, but He is expecting something from you. And I think there are some people who are just not willing to pay that price. Every so often, a, a new product hits the marketplace. You know, there's been tremendous advances, for instance, in the area of technology. Uh, uh, understand a, a new Apple iPhone came out this week, people rushing to buy it. And I see some of you all with your smartphones, uh, iPhones and other kinds of smartphones and all those amazing things that they do. And, you know, the question is, should I get one? But as I started to think about that, it's not so much the initial outlay of money, although some of them are very expensive. But it's also that every month you've got to keep paying. You know, you've got to pay that data fee on your, on your cell phone every month too. And I tell you, Although I think it's neat and I'd sort of like to have it, I just haven't been willing to pay the price, and so I don't have one. You know, I'm just, I'm just not willing to take that leap and commit myself to pay that price. And it's the paying of the price. That's the question, right? That's why I don't have one. So with, with any product, all of you do that, with all kinds of products, you say, well, it'd be nice to have, but I'm, I'm just not willing to pay for that. I don't, I, want, I don't want to commit to the cost of it. Well... Concerning salvation, it is that way. It's a great offer. It's a fantastic offer, but there is a requirement attached to it. And I'm convinced that there are a lot of people just not willing to commit to that. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cost of discipleship is that you make this first and most important in your life. More so even than your own blood relatives. Uh, uh, as we've studied that passage before, we know Jesus is not saying to literally hate your father and mother and wife. So, because other verses of scriptures command us to love father and mother and wife and children. But Jesus is saying you have to commit to this so powerfully that any other relationship pales by comparison. You have to be willing to bear your cross. And a lot of people are just not willing to pay that price, and therefore they don't come to Jesus. Our question to you is, are you willing to pay the price to receive the gift of salvation, the great offer of salvation in Jesus Christ? Or are you going to, or are you going to remain among those who refuse to come to Him simply because you won't commit yourself at the level that He requires? Some people won't come to Jesus, I think, because they fear failure. I've talked to people like that, and maybe you have as well, who say, I, I know I should do the right thing, but I'm just afraid that if I tried to do it, I wouldn't be able to hold out. I wouldn't be able to follow through. I couldn't make it all the way. And there are some people who are in that category. They just they won't commit because they're afraid of failure. Now, think about that for a minute. I want to see if I could illustrate it this way. Here's a young man, and he has some interest in young ladies. You know, that's normal. You know, this, here, here's this fellow, and he'd he, he sort of like to have a girlfriend. But then he stops and wait a minute. You know, I've known a lot of people who, I don't know, a lot of my friends uh, who've had girlfriends, and then it just blows up. You know, they have this girlfriend for a little while, and then they have a big fight, and they, they, they fall out, and they... 
and it's really an ugly thing, and, and it hurt feelings, and, you know, it's, it's really nasty. Uh, and, and, and even more than that, I've known people who got married, and their marriages didn't work out, and, oh man, that's just, that's just a, I, I'm afraid that if I ever sought a girlfriend, or ever decided to get married, that I just might not make it. If I might, and therefore, I'm just not going down that road. I'm not even going to think about getting a girlfriend. And I certainly would never even consider getting married because there's just a possibility I could fail at that. Does that hold people... You think anybody thinks that way about courtship and marriage? I don't think so. You know, that's not going to keep you from pursuing... It's not going to keep a young man from pursuing a girlfriend, right? But that's the mentality that some people have about being a Christian. I'm just afraid that I got, if I tried to do it, I couldn't make it. Therefore, I'm not even going to try. That's wrong thinking. That's especially wrong thinking when it comes to being a Christian because the fact of the matter is, now here's, here's the bottom line here, you can't make it. You can't make it as a Christian on your own. But with the mindset that Paul had, you can. Paul said I can, in Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. No, you can't make it on your own. I can't make it on my own. None of us can make it on our own. But with the help of the Lord, we can. And so don't let that hold you back. If you're in that category of not being willing to come to Jesus for fear of failure, don't let that hold you back. You can. With God's help, you can make it. Uh, and we encourage you to make that decision. Finally, let me suggest that we're trying to answer this question. Why do some people refuse to come to Jesus? Let me suggest that I believe there are some people who are turned away because of what they see among people who profess to be Christians. In other words, they're seeing among professed Christians words, deeds, actions, attitudes that are simply unbecoming. They're seeing in us, who are Christians, things that are not right, and therefore they are turned away, turned off, not interested. If a person who's not a Christian sees among those of us who are Christians, he sees immoral deeds being done, then he's going to say, I don't want any part of that. That guy calls himself a Christian, but look at how he lives. That's, that's obvious, right? Or if they see in us um, uh, hateful dispositions and attitudes. In other words, even in the church sometimes, there are Christians who act hatefully and with bitter animosity toward their brothers and sisters in Christ. And they look at Christians and they say, look at those Christians, they're just fighting and fussing all the time. I don't want any part of that. So they turn away. Or they see among us who are Christians that we often compromise our commitment. We've been talking today quite a bit about the, making the commitment to be a Christian. But there are people in the world who look at us and we're claiming to be committed Christians and yet they see us compromising all the time, not following through, not doing what we know we should do. And they see this compromise in us and they say, well, they, they don't think it's very important. Therefore, I don't think it's very important. There's that guy and he calls himself a Christian, but it's obvious that he puts lots of other things before his Christianity. Therefore, he must not think it's all that terribly important. And that being the case, I'm not interested either in pursuing that. You see that? This is really, really important. And, and the thing of it is, of course, is that any of us who stand in the way of someone else coming to Jesus, if we are that professed Christian who's setting a bad example and others are looking at us and therefore they're not coming to Jesus because of what they see in us, that's a scary thing. 
And I tell you, we're going to be accountable for that. The Lord's going to hold us responsible if we've been in that situation. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, Paul said to Timothy, In speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. And that's a challenge for all of us. Let us set the example. By all means, do not be a hindrance to those who would come to Jesus. Set the example so that they see in us something worthy of pursuing. Don't let us be what keeps people from coming to Jesus. Why do people fail to come to Jesus? Why are they refusing? In other words, there's, a, there's this offer out there. Jesus said, come to me and have life. And yet, the majority of people are not responding to that offer. Why is that? Well, I think that we can make some I, a true and I think necessarily accurate conclusions about that. But concerning all of those things that we said, do you realize that none of those is a good reason? Now, they, they, in other words, they're not justified reasons. They're reasons, but they're not justified reasons. None of the things that we've talked about this morning are reason enough to keep you from coming to Jesus for salvation. It may be that in our assembly this morning, there are some who are in that very situation. Maybe in one of the specific situations that we described this morning. You're not a Christian yet, or maybe not a faithful Christian. Maybe you once obeyed the gospel, but you've fallen away. Or certainly among those who've never yet obeyed the gospel. Some of the very things we described this morning may be the kind of things going on in your mind, keeping you from really coming to Jesus in, in order to have that life that He offers, eternal life in heaven in eternity. Are you not a Christian yet? If that's the case, we beg you to come to Him uh, through obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear the truth. Believe it. Repent of your sins. Confess your faith in Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of sins. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away, we urge you to come back in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing. Create anew, make whole again your empty, wasted years. 